You're listening to a Share Radio podcast. Welcome to the history of booms, busts, and bubbles here on Share Radio. My name is Rita Lobo, and today we'll be looking back at Black Monday. One Monday morning in October 1987, the London Stock Exchange opened to catastrophic losses in share prices. Markets in the Far East and the U.S. were also in turmoil, and no one really knew why. Four days later, things were back to normal, but the legend of Black Monday persists to this day. The crash began in Hong Kong and spread west to Europe, hitting the United States after other markets had already declined by a significant margin. On Friday, October the 16th, when all markets in London were unexpectedly closed due to the great storm of 1987, stocks started to fall. By the time markets had reopened on Black Monday, Asia was already in freefall and London was about to start sliding. Though the crisis was sudden and unexpected, the months that preceded it were unusual. In 1986, the United States economy began shifting from a rapidly growing recovery to a slower growing expansion, which resulted in something of a soft landing as the economy slowed and inflation dropped. Because of the slowdown, people started looking to the stock market for returns, with the Dow Jones peaking in August 1987 at 2,722 points, or 44% over the previous year's closing. Ed Mitchell is the presenter of Investment Perspectives here on Share Radio, but in 1987, he was a TV news presenter working in the city of London. He had started his role at ITN earlier that year, so I asked him, what was 1987 like for the markets? Uh, Well, I was uh, the independent television news economics city business correspondent, and I'd been in the job only about a year And that was a special year in London because it was the year of Big Bang, which is where an enormous number of changes occurred. The markets were very different. And I'd been reporting on those changes for that year, those and other stories, of course. What I've got to say, though, is that I had no expectation of anything particularly wrong with the the markets. There was no indication that they were preparing for anything at all dramatic. But you're absolutely right. Uh, There was this hurricane. It uh, was on the night of October the 15th, the 16th. It happened during the night. uh, And actually, I slept through it. I must have had a jolly good nightcap or something (laughs) like that. Um, But it did mean that the next day the markets were, were closed. I was actually due to fly out to America to cover a story and was not able to fly just as well because little did I know that the following Monday, all hell would let loose. It's interesting that you describe it as all hell letting loose. Um, It started in the Far East and then sort of made it its way as the markets opened. So I suppose that in in the UK, we must have had a little bit of a warning, at least on the day, that, that something bad was on its way. I don't think anyone expected it to quite be so bad. No. uh, And what happened, the hurricane really magnified London's response because it hadn't been able to trade uh, on that Friday. So there was a lot of catch up uh, and there was a trigger in the background, but my memory fails to tell me what that trigger was. And as you say, the tidal wave began in the Far East, uh, was magnified by London and then was magnified again uh, when it hit uh, Wall Street, uh, when they opened it at 2.30 that day. Huge losses. 
Indeed, no one really had expected such a hard crash, even when signs of trouble started in the Asian markets. Gavin Oldham, Share Radio's founder and founder of the Share Center, was working in the city at the time and remembers turning up for work on Monday, the 19th of October, not knowing that markets were in free fall at all. Well, we just launched the Barclays Share Dealing and Advisory Service uh, on the Friday, the 16th. Um, and uh, uh, that was a, a big press launch with people coming in for the meeting and so on. And uh, um, we were following that up with uh, television uh, interviews and so on, uh, which were done from Canary Wharf on the Monday. Now, uh, you may recall that over that weekend, we had one of the fiercest storms that England has ever experienced, and there were major gales coming in, and uh, it was a terrifically difficult journey getting in to Canary Wharf on the Monday morning without any mobile phones or anything like that. Um, there was trees down across our drive, and uh, you know uh, it was impossible to get any public transport anywhere. And it was a matter of catching lifts all the way through, and so on. Eventually, I arrived at the uh, Docklands uh, site, which was pretty bare and barren actually at that stage, because it was bef- well before any of the office buildings had been built in Canary Wharf, and uh, uh, the television studio was was out there on the Docklands area, and I, and I eventually got into it just in time to be greeted by somebody coming out and saying, uh, oh, thank goodness you're here, because uh, you can comment on the market. And I said, uh, uh, the market? What's happened to the market? Because there were no mobile phones or anything like that. Uh, and they said, oh, it's fallen by 500 points. Look, it's all red. The whole screen is red. Um, and I said, I'm here to launch a stockbroking service, not to come and, uh, you know, talk about the uh, collapsing state of the market. Um, anyway, they rushed me through into the studio. And uh, that, of course, was the main focus. And uh, uh, it certainly was an introduction by far uh, for a brand new service in stockbroking. When you started with a, such a volatile market as that, it was a, a memorable day. I can remember practically every hour of that morning of the 19th of October. And the crash would go on to dominate the news for the next next few months, until the markets eventually corrected themselves from the crash. But before they did, there were fears that the crisis would trigger a major economic downturn, akin to Black Thursday in 1929. Ed Bauscher, senior analyst here at Share Radio, was at university at the time, and recalls panic spreading from the city. So I was at university, um, I was studying economics, and uh, yeah, I remember being really quite shocked by it. Um, it felt at the time like, wow, is this going to be another Wall Street crash like 1929? I, you know, I guess with hindsight, like 2008, it was a scary, scary time. And I was young and naive. And only at the end of the previous week, we'd had this great storm and all these trees that came down. And that also seemed very shocking. So it just combined to create this rather sort of scary feel for a couple of days. It must have been quite an unusual time to be studying economics at university. It was a very unusual year um, in terms of the economy. Stuff in America wasn't going quite as well as it had gone before. There were those um, Iranian attacks on American ships. And eventually this crisis that starts in the Far East and rolls over this way. I mean, was there a sort of, you know, you must have been living with the guys that were going to be the next generation of, 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 you know, big economists. And was there a sort of fear of having gotten into this in the wrong time. 
Uh, no, there wasn't in truth. I think we all, we, you know, we, I was scared. I mean, we weren't, I guess what we were doing at the time was quite theoretical economics. So we weren't talking in class about these kind of issues very much. Um, I was worried about what the stock market, would it generate some kind of economic crisis? I was worried for a little while, only for a very little while, actually. And then it became clear it was going to be fine, really. And that's one of the interesting things about this particular crash was that it lasted four or five days and then it sort of picked up without too much of a greater repercussion in the wider economy. So it must have been really quite a peculiar week. Yeah, I mean, I, in hindsight, it now seems all the more peculiar. Having lived through 2008, where a crash became a proper crash, we had this thing that looked like it was going to be a crash and then wasn't. But then, of course, I think that sort of relief and the fact that it didn't prove to be very serious meant people, more and more people didn't take risks seriously enough in the 90s and the noughties. Indeed, though Black Monday remains to this day the largest one-day percentage decline in the Dow Jones Index, the crash had surprisingly few repercussions to the larger economy. I asked Ed Mitchell, as a journalist reporting on the crisis and the rider economy at the time, how Black Monday changed the way people in London interacted with the market. Well, I think for particularly for those investing in London, because there had been a lot of uh, initial privatisations the first time that really members of the public have been involved in the market by the selling off of various things like shares in BP and uh, BT and uh, various other and uh, some of the building societies as well. So this was the first experience by a lot of new investors in a market crash. I think they had been lulled into the belief that markets always went up. This was the first time that they had experienced quite such a a reaction. Uh, And that's why ITN sent me down to the city straight away because they realised just how big a story it is. Of course, journalists love market crashes more than slow build-ups. And I was sent down there with a satellite truck and my own uh, mobile phone to report on it uh, that very day. That's interesting that you say that people sort of expect the markets to always slowly climb and they sort of feel that you can't really go wrong if you stick with it in the long term. That feeling, despite a crash like Black Monday and some others that have followed it, hasn't really changed. People still seem to expect the market to be always a good choice. And then when a big crash comes, like in 2008, everyone's caught by surprise and and, Mm. and all hell breaks loose again. Why do you think we're so quick to forget? I think it must be something in human nature. I think it's something in investment behavioural activity is that uh, people do forget that. I mean, also people want to get back their losses. Um, I tried at ITN when I was doing all my endless, endless pieces to camera was, was to make the point that markets do go down as well as up and that this could be a short term blip and that it's not a cause for panic, it's not affecting the real economy. Uh, It wasn't because I was particularly prescient, but it did seem to me that this was uh, a one-off and really something wild. It did go on a bit longer than I thought, though. Day after day, it did go on, and I think it took four or five days for the recovery to begin. And... As someone who was involved in the market, but as a as a in an outsider position, I suppose as a journalist, did you notice a certain amount of behavioural change by those that were actually 
knee deep in it after such a violent come down? Oh, there was a lot of manic activity, and certainly because I couldn't really escape the being down in the city with my satellite truck, I tended to uh, have a few drinks with the 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 dealers, the boys, the market boys afterwards, drowning uh, their sorrows, dr- drowning their sorrows, uh, and in a and the, this sort of manic state. Remember, it was a late eighties, and the late eighties are associated with a certain excessive sort of behaviour. And so I quite often slept on the satellite truck floor because I'd been out of it too late <laughs> in the city, but I had to be up for breakfast television the, the, the next day. So it was an exhausting period of time. But in answer to your question, I think for a lot of the youngsters in the city, this was their first taste of real drama. Even now, almost 30 years later, no one is particularly sure of what actually caused the stocks to start sliding and then to crash at such a phenomenal rate. Professor Jan Toporovsky is a professor of economics and finance at SOAS here in London, and he has given Black Monday quite a bit of thought for the nearly 30 years since the crisis. I mean, academically, the general view was that uh, a realization that actually you know, prices uh, in the secondary markets are uh, unnotional ones. They're kind of bookkeeping ones. People will buy and sell at whatever prices they deem, they think, are appropriate. And it's not if prices rise or fall, it's because you know, people want to trade at those prices. Now, this is fundamentally at odds with a much older academic tradition, which says, and, and which is implicit in the efficient markets hypothesis, that actually the prices uh, in the market should, strictly speaking, be the best, the market's best guess at the discounted present value of future earnings from holding that asset. Now, the reason why that theory doesn't hold is because very few people or very few individuals and very few portfolios hold shares, uh, hold stocks or bonds for the lifetime of those bonds. They usually hold them until they decide to sell them or when they need some liquidity in their portfolio, so they sell out of some stocks. But very few stocks and bonds are held right through until maturity. I suppose the the exception to this is pension funds, which are obliged by law to fund their pension obligations with stocks of an appropriate maturity. So they will hold those stocks until maturity. But otherwise, well, this is relatively unusual, and uh, the, the future earnings of a particular stock are nowhere near as important as the possible capital gain in the next week or so. I mean, this was Keynes's observation in the general theory. Mm. So actually, Black Monday was interesting in the sense that no one really saw it coming, and then it sort of rectified itself relatively quickly without any major consequences, though it was a phenomenal drop. So Professor Jan Toporovsky, what happened there on that Monday in 1987? Well, what had happened was that the stock markets particularly in New York, had got out of kilter with the prices in futures markets. Uh, the, the, the first kind of computerized trading was taking place, and the computers were programmed to sell stocks in the cash market if the prices were falling. And then 
you know, buy them in the futures market. And this just led to such a large wave of selling that the market crashed. What was interesting was that the brokers who were supposed to maintain continuous uh, markets in this rapidly ran out of money because they're the, in the brokerage system that was common at that time. They were obliged to be swing purchasers or, or sellers of stocks so that if customers wanted to sell, they would have to buy. If they didn't want to buy, then they would lower the price even further to discourage anyone from selling. But of course, what happened was the momentum started was that even more people wanted to sell and get rid of the stocks because it looked as if you know you sold now, otherwise your whole portfolio would be devalued still further. So this is the sense in which the market for stocks and shares doesn't really obey the normal laws of supply and demand that economists uh, love to cite when they talk about market equilibrium. And why is it then that we remember Black Monday with such uh, such dread, I suppose, it has this very ominous sounding name and we remember it really as a sort of catastrophe, but it wasn't quite that really, was it? The markets did rectify themselves in the end, it adjusted to the new models and things moved on pretty much as usual. Yes, that's right. And in fact, I, th- I think the reason why they call it Black Monday was you know, by reference to what happened in 1929, what's hanging over you know, modern capitalism is the fact that modern capitalism has uh, one fundamental weakness, and that is in the market for long-term securities. There are large corporations which finance themselves issuing long-term securities. Holders of those securities, principally pension funds and insurance companies, hold those securities because they think that they will keep their value and that they can buy and sell them at a good price. Now, if you can't sell them, then in effect, your money's tied up and your money's tied up, your whole portfolio becomes illiquid. And then you can't, for pension funds, you can't pay out pensions and those kinds of funds become insolvent. In 1929, this had uh, ramifications throughout the economy because of the way in which banks then tried to drain the liquidity out of the rest of the economy in order to save themselves. It's that example that is at the back of people's minds every time the market crashes. You know, we've had something like 26 asset bubbles since the end of the Second World War, and yet it seems that every time we have a crisis or a crash or a bubble burst, we tend to frame it in the context of 1929. Will the global financial markets always live in that shadow, or do you think that, you know, after 2008, we have finally moved on from that idea? No, I actually think that every financial crisis is fairly unique and distinctive because it occurs in a different structure of financial obligations or different debt structures. There are different debt structures. The problem is with long-term debt or bonds or stocks long-term obligations because these are the ones that are very, very dependent on the liquidity in the capital market or in the secondary market, and that is unstable. It used to be stable when central banks took responsibility for ensuring that secondary markets were stable, but they abandoned doing that about 30 years ago. The 1987 crash was you know, perhaps the, you know, about the third or the fourth crash that happened after that. It 
it's an indicator of you know what is a fundamental flaw in the financial system and so far no one's come up with a solution of how to resolve it and just pretending that financial markets are efficient and that rational people should all be holding stocks on the basis of what the long-term value of those stocks is doesn't really work because you know that's not why people hold stocks and after 1987 black monday this violent crash but fairly swift recovery professor jan taparovsky from soas university how did the markets in london and new york and even in the far east that were hit as well sort of adjust to these new conditions and go back to being profitable well they adjusted Uh, Fairly quickly, I mean, within about six months, the markets had recovered. The markets that recovered most quickly were the ones in the Far East. And that was simply because of uh, uh, government uh, intervention. I mean, in Japan, famously, the Ministry of Finance uh, called in uh, the the heads of the uh, largest insurance companies and pension funds and uh, uh, told them to to go out and start buying stocks <laughs> and they did in the uh, <laughs> in, in Hong Kong the uh, the monetary authority uh, stepped in and uh, bought up uh, a huge proportion i think most of the value of uh, the uh, of outstanding stocks uh, in order to uh, support prices. Uh, and this actually helped um, globally because, I, because the, the stock markets by then were fairly global uh, in, and they, they helped in particular uh, in Britain. I think after the Far East, Britain recovered um, uh, soonest and then, uh, uh, and then the US after that. And Professor, just briefly, um, it's now been, well, almost 30 years since that crash. Do you think that the markets are now more resilient to, 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 to the sort of vulnerabilities that, that affected the markets in 1987? Or are we still susceptible to, to a sudden and violent crash like that? No, we're still susceptible to a sudden and, uh, and, a, uh, and a violent uh, crash like that. And as we, we've seen in, in the U.S. Uh, and in the U.K., um, they have, uh, the authorities, the financial authorities know how to deal with this. They, uh, they come in and they start uh, buying stocks. Uh, this, the central banks provides easy credit, uh, and, and they do it. What... Um, it, it, What's much more difficult to do is to manage the consequences of that for the um, for the rest of the economy, and in particular, um, the the impact of a stock market crash on um, uh, on on corporations, and in particular those corporations that are important for fixed capital investment in the economy. Uh, what what happened in 2008 uh, was that the a, a number of large corporations were uh, caught uh, unable to roll over their short-term borrowing 
by refinancing them into the uh, the capital market, into the market for long-term uh, uh, bonds or, or stocks. And uh, they responded to this by simply cutting their investment. And that's what caused the crisis. This is fairly similar uh, to what happened in 1929. It didn't happen in, uh, uh, or didn't happen on, on, on any such a scale in uh, 1987, which is why 1987 is, uh, is unusual. Um, and I think this is the, uh, in a sense, the, 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 the one thing that uh, most uh, economists have, uh, have overlooked about stock market crashes, that it's not the rise or fall of prices that matters. It's the impact of what happens in the capital market on corporate finance and on the liquidity of corporations um, that determines uh, it's a, well, it's a large influence on that liquidity is a large influence on the ability of corporations to invest, and we need that investment to keep the economy stable uh, and even to generate the cash flows um, so that uh, debt payments throughout the economy can be made. So it's a kind of circular uh, uh, determination. Uh, and if you, uh, uh, once that investment process is impaired, then uh, the, the economy is in trouble and you end up with the kind of thing that you know, we have in Europe uh, and uh, in, uh, I think to a lesser extent in the US and the UK, which is, um, you know, uh, 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 an intractable long-run problem of bad debts arising and a, a, you know continual problems in banking the financial system. So indeed, a stock market crash that has become the stuff of legends, but that didn't really change the way we do business in the market. This has been the History of Booms, Busts and Bubbles, and we have been talking about the causes and consequences of Black Monday in 1987, or Black Tuesday if you are listening in Australia. The different names are purely due to different time zones, and it was indeed the same crisis. I'd like to thank Jan Toporovsky, Professor of Economics and Finance at SOAS, for shedding some light on the obscurities of the crisis, as well as Ed Mitchell, Gavin Oldham, and Ed Bauscher for sharing their memories with us. My name is Rita Lobo, and I will be back with more of the history of booms, busts, and bubbles here on Share Radio next Sunday at 11 o'clock. 